You are listening to the Head Hunting Housewives podcast with your recruiter, Diane O'Brien, episode number 68. Good morning, Head Hunting Housewives. It's your recruiter, Diane O'Brien, and I'm speaking to you today. What? It's almost afternoon. Usually it's early morning, but it's late afternoon outside. Um, hopefully you can hear me because the waterfalls are going from the pool and the birds are singing and I hear neighbors mowers, but I'm trying to stay true to, um, taking those summer breaks and getting out of my recruiting minds and just relaxing and taking you on that with me as we're going into summertime. Um, so I might break away from that a bit here because the thing I want to speak to you today is about recruiting, kind of looking back a postmortem and and kind of giving some tips and maybe do's and don'ts to interviewing for you candidates that are out there interviewing. Uh, summer is often a time I can really look back on the past year and what worked and what didn't work. And there are some things that stick out to me during the year that um, as I'm recruiting, I don't really have time to reflect on and speak to that during these summer months when I'm kind of being more lazy at the beach or by the pool and just trying to enjoy time more, um, my head kind of goes to and thinks, wow, I wish that person would have known this or this would have helped them get that, you know, high paying job if they wouldn't have done that. So I just want to share some of those thoughts with you on this Thursday because I'll keep my thoughtful Thursdays that we did in the past um, for recruiting. And just as you're kind of hopefully maybe relaxing more too, these are things that you can take with you to help your candidates do better on their interviews, really at any level. And the one that kind of had me thinking about this as I woke up early this morning um, was a COO candidate. Um, that actually it was a COO position I was hiring for, but um, she it was kind of COO slash CEO. And you'll see this sometimes. Sometimes companies will come to your clients for your executive searches that won't know if they want to hire a COO or if they want to hire an operational or integrator type person that can then eventually take over for them as CEO. This happens a lot. It's happened a lot to me lately with clients. Um, and it's not only the ones, I had one that was retiring, so they wanted the COO to replace her so she could retire. But I've also had a recent client that was very young, just starting out of his business, doing really well, still small business, under $10 million, um, wanting to grow it, wanted a COO, but already was thinking that he had this three, five, 10-year plan where this person should take over for him as CEO. So that's something I'll speak to in another podcast because those are very different skill sets. So finding a combo is very unique and um, you know, it, it can be done, but I can tell you that partnership is pretty key. When you have an awesome COO that complements and can kind of execute the CEO's vision, I almost feel like it takes two a lot of times. And I feel like I might turn off some CEOs that um, clients that I'm hiring that are looking for an all-in-one. And we can find those people. They're rare. They're a little bit of a harder search um, because that, you know, the duo usually works really well, especially for a young company. And But anyway, but, but the person, to get back to my point of um, this individual I'm thinking of, it was a woman. I was so happy to have found her because she was being hired for a CEO role that could also evolve into a CEO role. It was for a software company, the software industry. Um, what I loved about my client who I was hiring for, um, and she had been a CEO for many years is that she really understood that she wanted to find a great recruiter that she could trust that could find someone quickly, but the right person that could grow long-term at the company. And, um, they had tried to find this person for many years. Actually, they'd used a lot of recruiting firms right in their niche of software. It's all it and software. They had a really 
a clear need for someone needing like, um, you know, IBM background experience and all these other things that had to do with software for their clients. Some a little bit more hands-on maybe than the typical CEO, CEO we would search for. Um, but what's great about her is that she knew my background. I, I had hired in software before, but that wasn't my niche. Like I've mentioned for these many years, I don't, my niche is kind of hiring at the executive level, but not in any one industry because all my referrals come from all over. And she understood that even though her team was advising, they kept looking, keep looking for other recruiting firms that were specializing only in software. She was like, Diane, I understand that if you're good at what you do, you can go in any industry and find the right person. And um, she really took a leap of faith with me, which I really appreciated. And we just found the perfect person for her uh, right away. It took two, actually I sent three people. The first one she loved, and this is the person I'm thinking of that I want to speak to because the first person really was, and you know, could have been a shoot in. Um, but there's mistakes that were made during the face-to-face interview that I want to speak to a little bit. Um, they ended up hiring the second person that I sent for them to meet. I sent a third as a backup, but they didn't even need to even meet him. The number two was the correct one. And, um, and it's interesting too, because I can later speak to how sometimes no matter how great you do your job and how you find the perfect person, sometimes life has a way of maybe making a better match than you think. And that's where your number two or three can come in. So that's why you just don't stop at one, even if you've found the perfect person for your client. But my, um, the person I found, and I really was looking, you know how I always try to find women, especially since I was replacing a woman. So I really did my best to find um, another woman. And I really found that needle in the haystack of someone with all that same experience. She spoke several languages. She was a pilot in her spare time. So as far as getting around the country, I mean, gee, she didn't have to even try her own plane. She could fly her own plane. I mean, she was like an anomaly when you're looking for a perfect kind of candidate. And she went in for the first interview and it went great. My client called and said, she's perfect. I can't imagine you finding anyone better. The skill sets, you know, um, she just did amazing. The only hang up was that their, um, what was his title? It wasn't, he wasn't CEO or CEO, but he was like vice president. Um, he was basically second in command, regardless of his title. It was a small family business. And so he was a decision maker as much as the CEO that I was hiring for. And, you know, you know, when you're higher executive level, you're talking to more than just the one decision maker. And often I speak to the different people on their board or the other players. Um, looking back post-mortem for myself, I probably should have had a conversation with him on the phone. They didn't really deem that necessary. And I don't push back too hard if they know the main decision makers, you know, are on the same page. But what happened here was I only spoke to the CEO. I had a very good feel for what they needed, sent this person forward. They hit off. Everyone on the team loved her. I mean, she was there seven hours. She flew in to meet everyone on the team, met employees, the whole shebang, right? Walked out of there feeling great. Again, the only one caveat that I heard from the client was that the second in command, won't give his name, um, just didn't feel, just wasn't sure. Maybe just thought it'd be smart. Just maybe look at one or two more, right? And so, you know, you hear this often, you can have the perfect person. If you're a realtor, you can probably relate if you show someone the perfect house the first time, but they kind of want to see more just to make sure. So, you know, I know a lot of us recruiters out there, and I've done this myself in the past, where you realize this happens and you start to think you form a strategy around it where, okay, I'm not going to send my best person first because they always want to see more. Let me send a great candidate, but save, you know, my, the perfect one for the second you know, I don't do that anymore. I used to try to do that. And then there's even recruiters I talk to that, you know, number three, they, they show number one, that's 
too much this, number two, that's too much that, and number three is the perfect fit, right? <laughs> so there are all kinds of strategies around this, but to be honest, after 20 years of recruiting, I kind of just go with my gut in the moment and let life take it where it should take it. So, um, you know, sent her forward right away and got this feedback. And of course, as a recruiter, us good recruiters, especially when you're an executive search ladies, you have to keep digging deeper. So it was very important for me to have another call with the CEO saying, okay, exactly what did number two, your, your, your right hand man say about that or what happened, you know, in that meeting, anything, did anything happen that maybe you made more insight into what wasn't a fit? Cause I'm searching as much for personality fits and just making sure the personalities feel good as much as anything. And then I did the same thing in going back to the candidates, my, you know, my awesome, perfect software pilot, you know, amazing background candidate. Um, and she was already making a few hundred thousand, keep in mind, this position would have been closer to half a million to get her, you know, um, even more, but she was already doing great and didn't need to go anywhere. Okay. So, but she wanted this job. This really was a perfect fit. And so you want to dig on both sides. And, um, what I found in speaking with her is what happened when she went in, you know, for the interview, everyone hit off great. You know, um, she was really speaking probably more to the CEO as she should, because that's the person she'd be working with closely, especially for the next year. Uh, but she knew that then when that person would later leave, she would then be working with the you know other team members. But she told me a little story about a wee awkward moment with number two, right? The VP there that, you know, looking back, she wished maybe wouldn't have said. And, and it's basically, I won't give the exact details, but um, he wasn't as technical as this woman was and the CEO woman was, right? He was number two in command. He handled like all the, the business side of things and the money and the customer service. He did a lot at this company, but he didn't understand the, the software, IBM stuff and the technical stuff. So there was a point in the conversation where the CEO and my candidate were really hitting off and talking very technical. And this guy probably had a glazed look a little bit upon his face. Um, and my candidate made a joke saying, oh, you know, um, something to regard that this is probably going over your head, but don't worry, da 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 da, da. you know. Um, she, I think they referenced even like other friends or kids that uh, they get that glazed look. She recognizes that. And it was, it was a very um, harmless note that he probably wasn't on the same level technical, but don't worry, she, she would have that. Um, which, you know, is fair, right? But this personality type really kind of took that um, to heart, probably hurt his ego, right? So us ladies, um, you know, I don't know. I feel like men get their ego hurt a lot quicker than us women. Um, but anyway, I definitely think it might've been a little bit ego hit. And so even though, you know, everything else went great and literally they're like, this is the perfect person. Let's just see one or two more. And part of me was like, you know, I'll send one or two more, but this is the one, right? I knew this was the one, but sometimes as confident you are in finding a great person, you don't know what is going on in life or, you know, what um, maybe uh, greater powers than you are shifting things for certain reasons. And that's how I always look at it. If it doesn't go the way I really thought it would go. And, you know, funny enough, I kind of, when this happens, take a deep breath, you know, you think of how best to serve your customer. There were two ways I could have gone. And even the CEO thought I had to send us a couple good ones, but you know, you don't have to really, this person's perfect. So part of me thought, you know, I'm not going to bust my butt. I'll just, I had backup, send those. But then another part of me is like, you know, I just kind of sat and thought on a couple days before I did anything. So take the time to think on the best move next for these big searches, especially. And I was like, maybe, you know, what if there's someone else out there? Maybe, you know, unfortunately I had, I gave my other candidate wasn't on my women backups. I thought maybe this guy wants another guy, right? And this happens, um, in all kinds of searches. Um, so you want to send everything just to help make the hire. Um, 
but just as I was kind of thinking on this for a couple nights, you know, thinking, gosh, just, you know, why, how am I going to kind of maneuver this? Someone reached out to me. It was a man candidate that I had reached out to during my original search when I found this woman, but he had just taken another job. And, um, you know, so our call went really great. But he was like, oh, I wish you would have called me Diane like a week earlier. I just, you know, um, ver- I think he verbally accepted it. So it wasn't in writing yet. But at that point, you know, he'd been through the interview process probably for months and months. Was he you know, planning on moving his family across the country? Um, and even though this job I was offering was a lot more money, you know, a commitment is a commitment sometimes, right? So that, you know, that was early on the search. So even though I'm like, God, he would have been great. I think I even found him before the woman. Um, I moved on, went on to find this woman, which I was like very thrilled with. I, I can't remember who was now that this was back in first quarter. So I'm trying to think exactly their experience background because he was very strong too. Um, probably not as, um, dynamic as the woman candidate I sent for. I think she really covered lots of bases, but, but very solid. And, um, when he, so anyway, this guy was in the background, he reached out to me, I guess maybe two days, two or three days after that call I had knowing that they wanted to see more. And I'm so glad I took a breath and there's a lot of times in my past, I would just jump in working like a maniac, right? Hustling, trying to find that number two. Cause you get that, you know, that pit in the stomach you get as a recruiter ladies and all your recruiters out there. Like you have the perfect candidate, you worked your butt off trying to find them. And then you get that call, like want to see more candidates, right? It's like, oh my God, you can't, you got to really start this over. Do they know how much work it takes <laughs> to find the perfect candidate and they want more perfect candidates. But um, I'm so glad I didn't try to hustle it, but really took my time to think about it. Okay, what would that maybe perfect candidate be like? Learn more about the number two so I can really hit on what they're needing. Make sure my candidate would know when interviewing to really who to focus on and not pander is not the right word too, but really just give the attention, equal attention to, right? So um, because a lot of interviewing is a lot of sales and marketing yourself in many ways, nothing to do with the job. Just, you know, there's all those different facets that your candidate needs to be prepped for and coached for. Um, so I'm losing my train of thought. So anyway, I'm glad I said that I waited to not just jump in and hustle because he reached out to me a few days, again, a couple days in saying, Hey, Diane, you reached out to me like a month ago or two ago. And, um, I had declined to move forward on this job because I accepted something else, but I'm really having second thoughts. I think he was starting to fly out. I think he was living in, where was he? Was he Jersey? And he was flying out to Texas. That's a big move for his family, right? Um, and uh, the family was having second thoughts. It was moving further away from like his, not just his immediate, his wife, well, his wife and kids were going with them, but his parents were actually in the area. So moving further away from them. So there were just so many family factors that I could just almost imagine when he called me picturing his wife saying, hey, what about that recruiter that called you that had something local for more money? <laughs> um, and this is something where very rarely if someone commits to something verbally, I usually end it there too, because a commitment, you know, it's a commitment you follow through. But there are things like this in life, right? And we've all had these moments where you make a commitment, but oh my gosh, you have second thoughts, you look back and you just don't want to stay with a commitment because you committed and then it's horrible the rest of your life. If you need to shift and change gears, that's okay. I've made some big commitment shifts in my life, um, as I'm sure all of you have. I've struggled. Um, I don't get too far off topic, but even when I was hiring a nanny for my kids when they were younger, I committed to this one girl and then another girl came unannounced. Her mother sent her over my door. I'd already gave a verbal and she was amazing. And 
I almost went with the first girl I committed to because I made a commitment. But then my parents and my father-in-law especially like, are you crazy? These are your kids. You can go back in that commitment and find the perfect person for your, raising your children. <laughs> and so, you know, anyway, I, it, that comes to mind because yes, committing, committing to things are important, but you got to make the right decision. If you make it, a better one comes along. It's okay to shift. So I think he had this, you know, over the month, he had a time to think about it. It wasn't feeling as good with the company he verbally accepted to. So I got him back in the mix, right? And what was crazy about this, just to go deeper now, again, to this example, um, is he was a COO already, right? I think he was, or at least he was in the operational. So this was definitely a step up. In fact, I remember, even if his title was COO, it was maybe more of a VP of operations, but the role I was hiring for was a true COO and then later CEO. So a big jump and the money was a lot more. It was like, I can't remember if it was $100,000 more. I feel like it was. And then the bonus was like even more than that. He wasn't used to getting any of that, right? This is a big jump for his family. But even bigger, he didn't have to move. His family could stay in their house. And what was crazy, he lived, even though we were doing a national search for this firm, he lived like 10 minutes from their main office. I mean, so, so many signals just pointed to, gosh, this was, as a God or gosh, this was meant to be. Um, you know, I think there was this other powers at play where, um, he had family and, you know, money-wise, he was ready for this. He just maybe didn't know he was ready yet. We had a lot of prepping calls to kind of get his mindset right. I mean, to give another example, I particularly remember this candidate even say, hey, should I go and I'll take less money? And he was ready to give, you know, take 50000 less to secure the job until he proved himself. And <laughs> I was like, no, 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 right? I'll have to help my candidates know their worth and you go for the full amount. And hey, as I'm saying this, I know a lot of your recruiters, you think I'm saying that um, because we often get paid, you know, 30% off their first year, off their salary. That was not my contract terms in this, um, in this, for this position. I did a flat fee for this lady. Um, I think it was, was it 60,000, 45, I can't remember if it was 45, 60. I did like, um, you know, a flat fee basically for her to find this position. So I really, it was a small company. I really liked her. I want to help them out. They've been through the ringer with other uh, search firms and that niche did not play out. So anyway, I just wanted to do this search for her. And, um, and so anyway, I had a really, you know, wasn't because I was gonna make any more money. This was going to flat fee. It wasn't a percent. I just wanted him to get what he deserved and definitely take the money that's on the table and you'll, you know, live up, kind of level up to where you really belong right now. Um, and I can give lots of examples of this, which I'll, probably over the summer, I'll give more of these kind of stories, um, you know, lessons from the past to help candidates do better, maybe even then clients know how to hire better. Um, but to finish through with this example, um, so he goes in, right? And all along, I'm being, just so you know, very extremely honest with both candidates. Um, and I even had a number three in there. So when you have your number one, like my candidate, I thought was it. And then I'm like, I told her, look, they're going to want a two or three. I was still feeling strongly before that it was her. But when this another person came along, I said, hey, he was part of the original mix. So, you know, there's a chance that they won't come back to you. We won't know until after his face-to-face. So I'm very candid and honest with my clients and candidates. Again, I know strategy-wise, a lot of recruiters don't believe in that. But I just feel like at this point in my life, I don't have time to focus too much on you know, uh, this different strategies and what you should say and shouldn't say. I just give it from where it is and where we are um, as I prep and take them each through week to week of the process. Um, but bottom line, you know, he went in, really hit off with everybody as well. I think my CEO probably liked the first gal first better, 
but did agree that this was a better fit for when she's gone, fitting in well with number two, um, the guy that they, who they would be working closely with, and the rest of the group. Again, it was a very uh, family-run organization. Um, I think they were like under 50 mil, so small, but still a nice, nice size. Um, so anyway, the, the moral to the story is, right, I feel like looking back, if couple things. Maybe if I could have coached her better on saying, hey, even though you're really speaking to the CEO, knowing that she'll be gone, you really have to connect that relationship to number two and the other players. And, um, and I can't remember if I said that or not, but maybe it should be more focused. And sometimes you learn right from the first candidate what to help the other ones with. But the number, the second guy in, you know, really hit on all levels. Plus he had that IBM software side they were needing. Um, and just, and then again, all the personal stuff made me think, okay, the universe and life has this lined up for really him more. You know, I really want to get my woman in that position. <laughs> um, you know, it was meant for him. Right. And, and that often happens still as many women as I put forward, the way it goes, I'm still hiring a lot of men, uh, CEOs and no, not to you guys deserve it. I mean, shoot, my husband's at that level and, you know, I, and I want, um, the men CEOs to do great too. I just want women to have their fair share out there. And so I look for diversity candidates. But, um, but anyway, I just want to give this as some insight into both when you're prepping your candidates um, to know what they're walking into and then to help you candidates that are being interviewed just to remember that no matter how great you are and what you've done in your background, your resume, I mean, you could be perfect like my candidate was. But if you're not going to have those little personality um, touch points and just connect with not just the one person but on multiple levels, it just won't won't happen, right? And so... That's where I feel like a lot of times the best we can do as great executive recruiters is listen and learn and communicate everything uh, as we kind of follow our clients and candidates along the process before making the perfect match because so much of it is truly out of our control, right? So um, you do your very best to find the best candidate in the space at that time. You know you'll do better than anyone when you get good at it, Um, but still it's going to be out of your control. And I can give different examples, you know, through that, I think of ones that were like slam dunk and then ones I had to so struggle with. And I know the reason for the struggle was a lot on the, the my client side. They were doing the hiring process wrong. But as a, a you know, advisor to them, a hiring advisor, you have to really help them see the light, so to speak, in a very good way, not hurting any egos because that'll kill the deal pretty fast. Um, you know, customers always write in many ways and I can be a little brutally honest, <laughs> but luckily the clients that, um, I've always had for years respect that. And those are the fun clients going to work with. You give it to each other as good as you get. Right. But you help them find the best person for the job and then they live happily ever after, which I know these candidates from first quarter, um, you know, are just loving life, um, and having a great time. So making more money than they ever made. So win, 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 win. Right. So that's that. I think I'm going to do, you know, hopefully the next, I'll let my mind go free flow this summer here. And, um, but I'll give more of these stories, like real life examples that we can help you when you're, if you're just Melissa that's interviewing, can help you to make sure you're answering the right questions the right way in some ways and, and have a mind to this personality stuff. And also then for you recruiters, keeping in mind the prepping part and helping uh, coach and prep candidates to know what to expect and going in, even ladies, you know, write down to make sure they have the right address and where do you park? And with COVID, it was like, how do you enter? And what's the protocol? Because people can get turned off by the littlest, stupidest things sometimes, right? And so it's important to just prep as much as you can even though a lot is out of your control the stuff you have in your control you just want to you know ace right so hope that was helpful these little tips from the uh, executive recruiting desk and um i'm thinking maybe i'm gonna stop this and hopefully go for a nice one in the pool today so hopefully you all will take a nice break on this beautiful june thursday 
Enjoy the time. Let your mind free flow to just to make you better for the next round. And I will talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come join us over at headhuntinghousewives.com. It's completely free to join. We're there to offer you guidance, support, inspiration. And when you're ready to go a little bit deeper, we're starting a mentorship program in 2Q. If that's for you, you have to email me at hello at headhuntinghousewives.com and let me know who you are and how I can help. Again, that's hello at headhuntinghousewives.com and I look forward to seeing you there.